day to come here and to be in a church filled with children. God, we thank you for the reminder of what's coming. Lord, we thank you that you have given them to not only our church, but our families. Lord, but you've also given them to the world. So I pray for their hearts and their minds right now as they gather together, as they build relationships, God, not only with each other, but with their teachers and, and so many here, Lord, that just spend their life and their time pouring into these young ones. Lord, I thank you as a father for those that are here that love my children uh, like I do. Lord, I praise you for that. They love them like I do because they want to see them grow in their faith. They want to teach them the word. They want to see my young ones apply that to their life. They want to be a resource, uh, Lord, as my young ones get older. And God, I just praise you for all of those things. And my heart grieves for those that never have that experience. God, so many in our world today will never understand what it's like uh, to be in a safe place. Uh, like this, to be in a, a safe place with loving people like those that are here. And so, God, I just take the time this morning to praise you uh, for the heart of this church, for children, for the blessing that you have poured out on it, and for those, God, that continue to steady work uh, of discipling our young ones uh, together. I praise you for that, Lord. We pray that you would bear fruit in their hearts and in their lives. Uh, we are just uh, thankful, God, for what you've done and what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Trying to figure out this morning what we're going, what I'm trying to achieve this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. As we're reading through this prayer, uh, piggybacking kind of with, with last week's. So this morning is going to be about prayer, the process of prayer, uh, what it looks like, the posture of prayer. We're going to see it in Daniel. Uh, since we read uh, the Lord's Prayer last week, we'll glance there uh, again in Matthew 6. But I just want this morning to be about the idea of prayer with Daniel. And then we're going to finish with one amazing truth. And um, I'm going to put it in at the end of this morning's sermon, even though it just kind of, it's just abruptly shoved there. But I want you to see it in the context that Daniel gets to see it. Because I think one of the things that's missing from our spiritual life, we're going to see diagnosed today, which is, communication with the Lord of the universe and how he actually operates with you and I, what he desires to say, what he desires to pour into your heart and mind. And I think it comes in the context of or the lack thereof of the prayer life that you and I have. I think Daniel, I think Job, I think others in Scripture, we could say even Jesus himself, they get access to so much of God because their prayer lives are strong. The prayer lives are fervent. They desire to spend time with Him like a good relationship on this side of eternity. You desire to spend time with the people that you love and you care about. You make that decision when you come here on Sundays. You make that decision when you come on Wednesdays. You make that decision in your family when you say no to some things and yes to others. You make that decision with your children. Like These things are just constantly on repeat. We know it as we live in this world. You and I understand it as we navigate this world, but I think we miss a significant piece of the Christian life because we don't take it one step further. You know, prayer is just time. It's just time dedicated to speak with the God of the universe that desires your goodness is running at. Man, singing those words this morning just hit me. Your goodness is running after. You want to know something amazing? It is, we, we all need to be very thankful that God doesn't quit, that He is faithful, and that He is aggressive because you and I are always running the opposite direction. And His goodness and His mercy come, and they come, 
and they come, and they are relentless, and they are loving, and, and they are wonderful attributes to the God of the universe that ultimately just desires to spend time with us, just desires to be involved in our life, to rule it, to make it what it can be. So this morning, I'm trying to figure out, what, what are we doing here? We're talking about prayer. We're, we're going to roll over this one beautiful truth at the end of this. But I want you to see, I want you to watch, I want you to listen to Daniel pray. But I want to do it in the context of what we've seen uh, in the prior uh, couple weeks. Chapter 6, we talked about that, that his faith, that Daniel's faith, it was consequential. We talked about his courage, right? His hope is anchored and settled. He's not wishy-washy. He is firm. He is planted, and he will not be shaken. Psalms 1, right? Like a tree. I've heard uh, John Piper's been preaching through Hebrews. I've been listening to that from 96. Like, audible.com is one of the coolest things ever. Like, for a couple bucks, you get sermon series, like 44 hours of this guy preaching. But he had a sermon called Oak Trees and Cattails. He says, I don't want you to be a cattail Christian. I want you to be an oak tree Christian. Right? Cattails just flop around right every year, but that oak tree just grows and grows and grows like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its time. Right? That's Psalm chapter 1. You and I need that kind of courage, that kind of faith, and it is anchored in truth. Chapter 7 talks about prophecy. If you miss the idea of prophecy, what it's pointing toward and who it's pointing toward, you will miss most of the glory of prophecy. It's not just God showing off. It's Him creating something that you and I can grab a hold of and hang on to. Right? That's the idea of prophecy. He's not just showing off talking about what kingdom is going to come. He's not just showing off talking about how Jesus is going to get here, when it is going to be, where it is going to be, and what is going to happen to Him. He is showing you and I, He is telling you and I what to look for to navigate into, to grab a hold of the God of the universe that not only knows the future but writes it. And you and I have access to that God. Chapter 8 last week, what did we talk about? We talked about the future and focus. Future and focus. Uh, in Philippians 4, verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellencies, right? Anything worthy of praise, you and I are to dwell there. We glance other places because we live in this world, but you and I need to settle ourselves into staring at glorious, good things. What is causing my heart and your heart so much frustration? We see too much wickedness too often without the context of the victory to come, the goodness of God right now, what He is doing right now, the lives He is changing right now, the people that He has given me to love right now. We miss all of that staring off into other places, either in entertainment or news or whatever else is going on, where we are designed, our desire is to want things that we do not have, right? Every, every advertisement you and I deal with, what are they trying to do? Make you discontent. You need this, you need that to be happy. You need this new trinket, this new thing that's going to break in three days. You need this little thing that's going to frustrate you to no end, but it promises to make your life better. So you and I live in a world with a spirit that is bent toward discontentment and God is looking at us and saying, you need to rotate back. You need to swing you and your whole family back into gratitude, thankfulness, looking at things that are good and pure and holy and loving and worthy of praise. 
Like that's chapter 8. Because what happened in chapter 8? Daniel was staring at the kingdoms and we see it's taking its toll on his what? His body. The stress of what he's seeing. The stress of wanting to know. The stress of the brokenness that he is navigating through is affecting him. And what do we not see in that passage? We don't see anything about the kingdom of God or Christ to come. The future and the focus, we talked about visions and visuals. You and I need to be careful what we put in front of our uh, face on repeat. So today, since we're talking about prayer, let me remind you real quick of what we talked about last week. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, right, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to see a couple of these pieces in Daniel's prayer today. But I wanted you to be reminded, if the God of the universe tells you this is how you and I need to do something, maybe we should pay attention to that. Right? If Jesus wants to speak to us, he wants to tell us something, he's telling us here how to pray. And what does that format look like? Well, we enter in praise. We enter in praise. The Lord knows what they're saying. We're good. Y'all worry about that, baby. We enter in praise. God, you're good. Man, the stuff that we sing, like that's the, that's the entry point that you and I are working into. That's why we sing music. It's so powerful. It's so emotionally charged. But if the words are wrong or don't matter, you have to sort through that. But man, your goodness is running after me. God, you are good. You are loving. You are kind. You are faithful. We are entering the presence of God in praise. What else is going on in that prayer? Well, you and I are asking to join the mission. Your will be done on earth. That means my heart too. God, your will be done everywhere on earth but my house. <laughs> it's, it's a lot better off when it's there, boy. It sure is hard to navigate when it's in my home, when it's in my heart. You and I are asking. We are inviting the Lord of the universe to do his work, and we are asking to be a part of it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking to join his mission, which he loves to grant the idea yesterday was being focused or last week was being focused in on what's going on today give us today our daily bread right watching the stock market you're going crazy getting ready to retire thinking about it possibly maybe maybe not don't know what's going to now i'm not like all these things are going on you and i need to be reminded give us today our daily bread And if you and I are willed to live to be 105 on that morning, on that 105th birthday, and we wake up and he's got one more day for us that day, there then will be that daily bread. You and I will get up, wake up, and pray to the same God. Give me today what I need. Give me today what I need. You've been faithful for 41 years. You've been faithful for 71 years. You've been faithful for 101 years. Give me today what I need. Don't miss the blessings of the day worried about tomorrow. It's going to show up, and when it does, it'll have its own worries. It'll have its own fears and its own frustrations. You'll deal with that then. Don't navigate out of the good and the glory-filled day worried about tomorrow. And then finally, what is it? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me my debts and then help me to do the same thing. 
Forgive me, Lord, of the things that I have done. Forgive me of my sin, God, the things that I have thought and said that have dishonored you, the things that I've done that have given people a false impression of you. Forgive me, God, of my sin. And then, Lord, here's the real kicker. Help me to do the same thing. Don't you love to pray for God's forgiveness? Don't you love to pray for God's mercy? Do you love to dole it out as much as you love to get it? Remember that first Christmas you woke up when you figured out it was really cool to give somebody something they really enjoyed? Do you remember that Christmas? Most of us are not there as Christians. Like if Christmas morning is you and I getting forgiveness, man, giving it, we haven't made that rotation yet. It's not as fun to ask to be forgiven or to forgive someone. It's not as much fun to get out as it is to get it. You and I need to be very careful. It's a hypocritical thing for us to do. One of Jesus' harshest parables is told against those that refuse to forgive. Friends, you and I need to be fast to forgive. We need to work hard at reconciling. We need to be a peacemaker in a world filled with chaos. That's part of your birthright. Your God, your Heavenly Father, opts like that. You and I need to work hard at operating like that too. You honor the Lord when you and I not only ask for grace and mercy and forgiveness, but when we give it, you actually become a partaker of grace instead of a user of it. And then finally, in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You and I need a really strong uh, idea of how weak we actually are. Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver me from temptation. I am weak. Whatever it takes to navigate me out of that temptation, God, do it. Help me to see it coming. Help me to run the opposite direction. Some of you young ones need to be paying attention. God, remove these people from my path. Why? Because the temptation is too great. You and I need to humbly acknowledge that we need protection from things physical that we can see and from things invisible that we cannot see. But you know what you and I need protection from most? It's not the devil. You know what it is? It's that your own selfish flesh. That thing inside of you that screams to be worshipped, that peace inside of you that, that you've got to get up every morning and nail to the cross, that peace is what you and I need to be fearful of the most. It does the most damage in your life and mine. Not what's done to me, not what's said about me, not anybody else, not the enemy himself. He tempts, but that wickedness comes from me. So we need that protection as well. Lord, protect me from my own nasty heart. Be king of my life today. Be the one that navigates, the one that pushes, the one that prods. And help me, help me, Lord, to honor you with what is going on in my life. Now, turn with Daniel chapter 9. Turn with me there. In the context of Jesus teaching us how to pray, I want to show you something cool this morning. We have been looking at eight chapters of just facade, eight chapters of the outside, this beautiful exterior, right? We could have probed it a little bit more. We could have looked for areas that didn't look right. We can see the outside of this thing, and it looks glorious. What you and I have figured out over these past couple months is that Daniel, the inside of Daniel's building is as beautiful as the outside. This wasn't one or two days of him being faithful. It wasn't one story of him getting it right on the right day. It was day after day, year after year, decade after decade, ruler and kingdom after ruler and kingdom. Do you understand? 
But all we've seen now is just kind of the outside of this thing. We have the story where he goes to pray. The, 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 the secular people at the time knew he was a prayer warrior. They knew that he opened his doors, that he faced Jerusalem, and he prayed daily. They knew that, and they leveraged it against him, but we've never heard him pray. We've never seen what that moment was like. We've seen his character, and it's amazing. Is his faith strong? Absolutely. Is he courageous on repeat? Courage, courage, courage. It's like, man, this is, a, this is unbelievable. Does he make a difference? You better believe it. He makes a difference in the life of his friends. He makes a difference in the life of those that he serves. He makes a difference across the globe. And he's making a difference to you and me 2,600 years later. Does he make a difference? He absolutely does. But all of this stuff is the outside. We're looking at this beautiful building and we are just enjoying it. Today, what do you and I get to see? We get to see the foundation of how it's built. What did his personal life look like? Does he pray? Yes, we know that. How does he pray? Well, we're going to see here in a minute. Does he read the scripture? Hmm, have we seen that yet? No? And that last question is how we were going to finish this morning in a couple minutes. Is he loved? Is he cherished? The context and the beauty of that idea come out of chapter 9, which is what? His prayer. He's a soul contractor. He's been building this beautiful building for decades. The Lord has been working in it and doing something amazing. It's been going on now for year after year after year. He didn't wake up one day ready for the trials. Friends, he was faithful in the small things. He was faithful in the private things. He was faithful when no one was watching so that when they were watching, he was ready. It wasn't the first time he had been put up. Right? It wasn't the first time that he had been exalted or broken. Year after year, day after day, he was building this kind of amazing facade. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of, Jeremiah, uh, the, word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Do you have a study Bible right now? Anybody looking at a study Bible? Do you have a little, um, I want to show you how to use your Bibles too because it's really cool when you figure out you don't have to really go that far to find some of this really awesome information. There's some little letters usually there somewhere, and somewhere on the side margin there'll be other scriptures. You're like, what are those for? It looks really neat. They're wasting ink. No, they're not. They are attaching you and drawing you to other places in the Bible to see this story. Now, what chapter of Jeremiah, I'm going to give you the hint, what chapter of Jeremiah is listed there? Anybody see one in their study Bible? Jeremiah what? Huh? 25? 25. Where, what is Daniel reading? He's reading Jeremiah. And not only is he reading Jeremiah, but he's in what you and I would call chapter 25. It would just be part of the scroll, probably something he had memorized. Who knows? He might have been sitting there reciting it. That was a real thing. He's reading the Word of God. And in the Word of God, you know what he finds? The same thing you and I find on repeat. When we get into the Word of God, just like you and I, he's studying the Word, and he finds something pertinent to the moment. It's pertinent to right 
now. It's personal. It's something that affects him personally. I mean, he's reading this Old Testament prophet. Jeremiah is a hard book. Like, he's already in the middle of, of weeping, grieving. Because what is Jeremiah doing to the nation of Israel? The weeping prophet's not celebrating. Correct? Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. You've acted like the world. You've dishonored the Lord. You've taken their practices upon yourself. You've, you've married into their family with their women and their gods. You have dishonored the Lord. And because of that, you've broken covenant. And now judgment is coming. And even Jeremiah says, I'm bringing Babylon. And then when I'm done dealing with Babylon, I'm going to punish them through the Medes. Even Jeremiah is seeing visions of the future. And he is writing it down. And now Daniel is living in it. If Daniel hadn't had the vision of what was going on, he still wouldn't have been surprised because he was reading Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, I'm going to punish the Babylons, and I'm going to do it through the Medes. And then, when 70 years is up, I'm going to bring my people back. You see, Daniel is reading the Word of God, just like you and I. He finds something pertinent to the moment, personal to engage his faith, and he finds something prompting to call him to action. Those are the things you and I will find if we read the Word of God. You will always find something pertinent to right now, either what's going on corporately or what's going on in you individually. There will be something in God's Word that says that is important right now, and it will be important to me personally. It will change me, challenge me, push me. It will do something in my life. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it divides down, Scripture says, to bone and marrow. There is nothing that it doesn't touch. And So this Word that God has given us changes our character. It dives down into places that no human hand and no human word can touch. It goes in there like a surgeon. God starts to work. He starts to open up things that you and I need removed. It starts to remove this infection and push through these things that have been bugging us forever, frustrating us forever, tempting us forever. God works like that. And Daniel, in 539 B.C., is getting the same thing from God's Word that you and I get. The same kind of interaction. The first year of Darius. So what's happened? Well, the Babylon kingdom has fallen. Darius the Mede has now come. He's reading Jeremiah that prophesizes all this. And so he says, hmm, Babylon did come and destroy Jerusalem. The Medo-Persian Empire came and destroyed Babylon. Let's just read a little further here and see what else. Seventy years. Like one, two, three, four, what? We're close. Oh, my. <laughs> I've been here 70 years, Lord? Yes. Been faithful 70 years? Yes. And now God is going to give him a vision and a time and a piece of the glory in the future to come. Daniel's reading God's word and he's taking it seriously. What he knows has come true. So what is promised, why would he doubt that? Do you understand, friends? Our interaction with the word of God, let me ask you something. Of all the things you know to be true, is it always true? If the Bible says to operate like this, to do this, to interact like this, does it not promise blessing to come afterward? At a bare minimum, a clean conscience between you and the Lord? So if it's faithful in what we know, will it not be faithful in the things we don't quite understand? We finished James chapter 5 this morning in Sunday school, and one of the things that we got to at the end there was the idea of faith. 
The idea of a parent looking at you and saying, it's, it's because I said so. Is that not a peaceful moment? Do you remember when you, you were old enough to understand, like, I don't have all the ideas so that people I trust, when they speak to me, when they say something, I don't have to question them for an hour. I can just believe it. You got somebody in your life like that? Like somebody that you know, man, if I come and I got an issue, if they say something, now we can discuss it. They're not going to shut that down. But if they don't have time or I don't have time, all I need is the word. All I need is direction. All I need is the yes or no. I can trust what they have to say. That's the relationship you and I have to build with the word of God. Our children hopefully build it with us, parents, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, which is being wise, loving well, looking like Jesus, uh, navigating that road forward. When we mess up, apologize. When our character fails, apologize, ask for forgiveness. Like if we're doing all those things, your children ought to be interacting. My children ought to be interacting with me like this. They may not trust us yet completely. You didn't trust yours either, so don't be upset. Right? Don't look so shocked. Can't believe my parents, you know, I can't believe my kids think they know more than I do, right? I remember being 18. I was very smart then. Smarter than I am now. But that's the relationship we need to build with God's script. Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened. Holy moly. We're there. 70 years. 70 years. There's something prompting him. And what is it going to prompt him to do? Look at verse 3 with me. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I think a lot of that verse, that ought to be kind of the perspective you and I have about the life we have right now. Was Daniel's life bad? A couple bad moments, right? those testings, those trials, but was his life bad? He's one of the rulers, <laughs> one of the wise young men in the nation of Israel. He's one of the, the rulers or the co-regents with Babylon. And now he's one of the rulers or the satraps or whatever with the Medo-Persian Empire. His life is pretty good. But man, there's something better. There's something better. Is your life pretty good? Man, I hope so. Mine is. But when we think about the time to come, do you grieve a little bit? Do you long for it just a little bit? Most of all, at the age of 41, I find myself longing for the release from this flesh more than anything else in the world. Like the struggles that go on inside of me cause me endless headache. And I long for, when I think about it, that's the one thing that jumps out first. Not fighting this flesh anymore. Like life is good, but man, what's coming? That's Daniel right now. His life is pretty good. I mean, he's in his 80s. He's lived way longer than most of the people of that time. He's in his third kingdom, third, fourth ruler. He's been faithful. God is blessed. He's lifted him up. He's given him a big platform to honor and serve the Lord and the kingdom and the nations, and he's doing that. But, man, he reads this and says, wait a second. It's time for some to go home. Oh, Lord, and it's time. What's he do? He gets driven into prayer. And not only prayer, but not only a prayer of rejoicing like it's done, but a prayer of, of pleas for mercy and grace and sackcloth and, and ash. He's grieving all that has gone on before him. Think, man, it kind of doesn't make any sense, does it? We're at the tail end of this thing. This guy is using prayer properly. He's interacting with the God of the universe. Lord, you've made promises. They will come true. But, man, this is amazing. Why is he grieving? Keep reading with me. I prayed to the Lord my God and made 
confession. O Lord, the great and awesome God. Jesus said to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Daniel walks into his prayer closet and says, Great and awesome God, you are good, powerful, strong, and righteous, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Just stop right there one second with me. The picture of grace to come. Why do you and I get to deal with the same God like that? Do you keep his commandments? Have we signed up and ridden under the law of God in order to merit access to him, interaction with him? Daniel is speaking a beautiful prayer, but he's also speaking something in faith or the future or a prophecy to come. Almost like Job when he prayed, there's no one that can put his hand on him and his hand on me and bridge this gap. There's no one like that. Job cries out in pain. Daniel cries out in praise, but they're both speaking of faith to come. Because do you want to know who merited your relationship with God? Somebody say, it wasn't me. We could all say that. (laughs) It wasn't me. It was him. And so Daniel prays a very dangerous prayer. God, you are the God that loves and cares, and you enter into covenant relationship with those that are faithful to you and steadfast in you. You want to know what? You and I aren't it. You wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. God in his mercy, Jesus in his glory, prays something that is very true. And then God doesn't break his own law, but he makes a way for you and I to fulfill it. And that is through Jesus Christ. Romans 4 says he is both just and the justifier. So God doesn't sacrifice his justice so that you and I can be with him and close to him. He makes a way to make it happen. That ought to make your hair stand up. Even if you only got a little bit. It should be doing something right now. Like, just something. Just maybe a little neck hair you should have shaved off in the last couple of days. Something. Something ought to be squirrely right now. Do you understand the concept of what just happened? Da- Daniel prays something that is totally true, and he prays something that you and I can't live up to. Nobody could do it. Abraham couldn't do it. Elijah couldn't do it. Daniel didn't do it. He prays in faith. In love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 5, we have sinned. Have you and I read one sin that Daniel has committed in these last months? We've read every verse of this book so far. Have we read one sin? Friends, love brings in this kind of relationship into our prayer life. Daniel loves the people of God. So when he walks into his prayer closet, he shares their pain. They share his blessings. He shares their pain. We have sinned. Fathers, if you want to pray strong, pray like this. Wayward children, kids getting older, making their own decisions, pray like this. Bring them into your prayer life. Grieve with them the decisions that they are making, the things that they are doing. Grieve with them. We have sinned, Lord. Forgive us. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. We didn't listen to them. We did what to them? What did they do to the prophets of old? 
They killed them, hated them, despised them. And Daniel grieves. He grieves their past. He grieves the way they treated God's men, God's word. We've not listened to your servants, Lord. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. We, us, grief. He is broken. He loves his nation. He loves the promises of God. And yet in this moment, he is living it with them. As at this day, the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. Verse 8, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness. We have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servant, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written uh, in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been anything like what he has done against Jerusalem. You understand what he's saying? He's reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah promised things that would make people's hair stand up, that would make them nauseous, that would hurt them physically. This is what God is going to do, not to your enemies, but to you. And Daniel says, we deserved it. Lord, your justice, we deserved it. Your righteous indignation, we deserved it. And he is in this posture of brokenness and grieving and mourning and he's recalling all these things and he's walking in it with them you know Moses did the same thing so did Jesus he entered into those that he loved he entered into their struggle Moses into their judgment what did Jesus do for you and I he drank that cup of wrath and there's, there's one very specific way that Jesus knows more about sin than you and I ever will. Jesus knows about sin in the context of judgment. You and I know about sin in the context of doing it, experiencing it, committing it. Jesus knows about it because he entered into it. He who knew no sin became sin. Daniel prays like that. That image is there for you and I to understand that is the heart of someone that loves those that he is talking about and praying for verse 13 as it is written in the law of Moses all this calamity has come upon us yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth and he would say even though you told us it was coming we did it anyway and then the judgment come and we still didn't turn Verse 14, therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15, and now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as to this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Man, he is just broken the first action he jumps into as he is realizing all this stuff is prayer you know prayer is part of the armor of god 
And you can go read this for yourself. But in Ephesians chapter 6, we all know the armor of God, right? The belt of truth, right? Sword of the Spirit. Everybody gets to the sword, like that's the Word of God, and they always quit. What's the very next part of Ephesians 6? Always what? Praying. Always praying. You're wearing all this armor, but it does no good if you have no communication with the one that's going to send you assignment, give you encouragement with the helpline that you need if you need something. Like all of this armor does you no good if you have no communication. Is a part of the work. Prayer is always first. The whole armor of God is wrapped in communication for safety, direction, and encouragement. So Daniel gets to work by doing what? Praying. What's he there to do? Does he write the king? Hey, king, time's up. God said 70 years, we're good. Give him the old boot. He gets to work, though. What's he do? Goes into his prayer closet, opens his doors for everybody to see, and then he gets active in prayer. His posture is submission, grief, and suffering. Psalm 51, 17 says, my only sacrifice, this is from the Amplified Bible. It's a fun read whenever you want to see other pieces that kind of give you a good understanding of what's going on. My only sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Broken with sorrow for sin, thoroughly penitent. Such, O God, you will not despise. You want the Lord to run to meet you, step in with a broken heart. Daniel is seeking him in prayer, but he's also seeking him with his posture. He is grieving, he is broken. Don't waste your tears. Right? How does he signify that here? Sackcloth and ash. Take off the robes, take off the adornment, and show yourself grieving like that of Job. Lord, we need you. We are sorry. We've made a mess. And even though you warned us, we still didn't believe you. In verses 4 to 15, what does he do? He makes confessions, right? There's always a we in the love of blessing and confession. Daniel loves his nation, and like Moses before him and Jesus after, he attaches himself to them, warts and all. He loves them that much. Grieving, he's crying, and then what does he do? He, you see, it kind of start verse fifteen. And now, O Lord God, who brought your people out, right? He's leveraging God, who he's been, who what he has done. He is leveraging that, leveraging that who you've been before, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself. He's going to leverage that. Look at verse sixteen. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for our own sake, for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Isn't that glorious? He's still not appealing to his own righteousness, their own righteousness, their merit. He is still appealing to the goodness and the grace of God. Lord, do something. These people known by your name, their, their testimony is attached to who you are and what you've done in their past. Lord, do it again. Rescue them. 
take care of them. Make your face shine on the city again. Not because of our righteousness, but because of your grace and your mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Friends, you and I can pray like that today. You and I can pray like, God, I am a Christian. I have loved you. I'm giving my life to you. I've, I've trusted you with all of eternity. I'm trusting you with my needs today, my needs tomorrow. I've told other people, they know I'm yours. Help me. They need what you have to offer, and they need to see it in me and through me. Help me. For your name and for your glory, in the name of King Jesus, I have written a lot of verbal checks about this Christian life. Make it true. Forgive me. You and I can pray the exact same way. It's the same God who operates in your life for His glory and His namesake to bless you and to draw other people in. It's one of the reasons why we have to tell the story. Who gets the glory for what's going on? Because if my life is shining so that other people see and gravitate toward it, then God is getting that glory. And so when things start to fall apart, I can walk into my prayer closet and say, For your name's sake, for the goodness of King Jesus, help me. Give me strength, give me courage, give me wisdom. Draw me close. Let others see you in me. Verses 20 to 24 say this, and then we're going to wrap up. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God on the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, there's a lot going on there. Do you think Daniel broke a sweat when he was praying? It looks to me like he does. Like this is big time. He is in it. He is pacing. He is praying. He is grieving. He is kneeling. He is crying. He is sweating. This is passion. It's not flippant or passerby. Thanks, Lord. See you tomorrow. Right? You're good. Thanks. See you later. Like a four-year-old. Right? This is please and passion and crying and purpose. This is sweat and time. He's doing all these things. Verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight. Don't you love that? God doesn't add anything extra to the scripture. How did Gabriel get there? He was on the move. Isn't that cool? Imagine how terrifying that was. Just put yourself in his position. He came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you why. And I have come to tell you. I'm going to give you some information, but why am I doing it? Because you are greatly loved. Some of us sit in here, some of your friends sit out there, and they've never had any individual make a statement like that to them. No earthly person. What if the God of the universe looks at you and says, you are greatly loved? He created you, he knit you together in your mother's room. Like all of Scripture is this truth, but just to have it spelled out that plain is unbelievable. 
Daniel, I have come not because we're going to use you in the future, not because you have something to do right now. I have come. I have been sent because you are greatly loved. Who's he loved by? (laughs) Come on. That is so cool. What if our prayer life is one of the pieces that's missing for you and I to experience this idea daily? It may not be this passionate all the time. Sometimes there are really high points in life. Sometimes there are really low. But a lot of times you and I are missing communication from the God of the universe because we don't set aside time to speak with Him. And if we do, it doesn't look like this. Daniel's reward. The God of the universe loves you dearly. Right? Some of you remember when that special person told you they loved you. Right? Some of you remember that. Like, that was cool. What was the God of the universe? Huh? Like, that was awesome. Holy cow, what? Huh? You are greatly loved. I don't know if there's four better verses in all of Scripture after reading this. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Quote, a promise and an anchor. If an angel told you, would you actually believe it? What if God has been telling you? What if God has been trying to tell you? What if you and I actually read the word like it was God speaking speaking to us? We would hear that frequently. We would hear it repeatedly. What happens if you got in your prayer closet and maybe God didn't change your circumstances, but he showed up there and he gave you strength and he gave you peace and he gave you courage that you've never had before. And in that moment was heaven touching earth. And you and I could look and say, wow, the Lord really is paying attention. You care about my prayers and you care what I have to say? There's a model here for prayer as they come this morning to play as we get ready to wrap up. There's a model here. Jesus shows it to us. Daniel shows it to us. Abraham, if you go look at his story, you'll see it there too. Go watch Abraham interact with the angels, one being God before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Go look at that picture of prayer and tell me what you learn in that one as Abram is interacting with the God of the universe and he's negotiating with him. Tenacious, ferocious. Daniel's reading something that has come true. He's reading something that's going to come true and yet he still enters into this passionate plea with God. And in that, he gets the greatest reward he will ever get. Not the vision, not the insight, but he will find out that the Lord of the universe loves him dearly. You are greatly loved. Friend, this morning, you are, you really are greatly loved. You really are greatly loved. And nothing can change that. Jesus loved you. He died for you. He knit you together in your mother's room. He brought you here at this time, at this place, to do something amazing in you and then through you. Stand with me this morning and just enjoy that wonderful truth.